0: Well, good morning again. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here, and we're continuing our Advent series looking at different aspects of the birth of our Lord. This morning we will be in Matthew uh, chapter 1. It's found for you on page 10 in your order of worship. It's also found on page 757 of that dark blue Bible there in front of you in the chair. If you don't have one, please uh, take that Bible with you home as our gift for you today. Or if you have someone in your life that you would like to give a Bible to, please feel free to take that. We would love to help you uh, do that. So as you're turning there to Matthew chapter 1, you know, this morning we're in a very familiar story to most of us. Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. All of this has been explained to her by an angel but not so much for Joseph he hasn't gotten his briefing yet and so he knows only what he sees and so he's having a really bad day he knows she's pregnant he knows it's not his kid so in fear in pain he comes up with a plan and then God sends an angel to him to talk to him about his plan So with that in mind, would you please turn with me now to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. O oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank You, Lord, that You have condescended to us that we might know You. And so we ask, Lord, that as we come before Your Word this morning, that You would once again do Your surgery. Would Your Word cut us in our very heart, Lord? Show us our sins, our foibles, Your grace and Your mercy. We pray, Father, that we would see Jesus in all His beautiful grace and that we would cling to Him. I pray You would do this, Father, by Your Spirit, In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to walk through this familiar story from the perspective of Joseph. We're going to look at it through his eyes, because when we do, we see the depths of God's care for us. So the first thing we see is that God rescues us. It starts off, Matthew says, the birth is like this. It's actually not the normal word for birth. It's really better translated, let's say, origin so this is the origin of Jesus Christ and here is Matthew who's writing the most Jewish of all the gospels and he's clearly hearkening back to Genesis 1 to the origin of all things so he's telling his Jewish readers hey God's on the move again God is doing something again things are happening and then he tells us that Joseph and Mary are betrothed 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 I don't know So it's much more serious than our engagement. We don't really have this thing, so it's kind of like an engagement. They were definitely set apart as a specific recognized couple, but they had never been allowed to be alone together, like ever, and they weren't married yet, but to end this particular relationship would take an official divorce. So it's kind of like this weird thing we don't have, but it's very serious. To break it, he would have to get some actual witnesses and come and do official things. It's in the midst of that serious relationship we read verse 19. Look with me at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, what's going on here is Joseph is a godly man. He respected the God behind marriage. And so he's not going to enter into marriage in a state of adultery. Now, we know the whole story. We know she's not an adulteress. He doesn't know that yet. All he knows is what he sees, and to all appearances, she has committed adultery against him, and he's not going to enter into a sham of a marriage in that state. He respects God too much. But at the same time, it's right here in the text, he loves her. So he's going to cancel the marriage, not do the big public thing, and he's just going to kind of let her go back home without a public shaming we see right here that Joseph is both righteous and kind at the same time. When God chose the man who would be an earthly father to his son, this is the man he chose. A man who's concerned with God's law and a man who's concerned with God's people. He's righteous and he's kind. You know, those of us in church world if we're candid with ourselves, depending upon our personality, we're really comfortable in kind of one of those camps more than the other, right? Some of us are very much into righteousness and we're a little suspicious of those who are a little kind of squishy and kind. They're too nice to people. And on the other side, we got people who are just legitimately like super kind people and the righteous people are kind of like, "Uh," and they look at the righteous people and they're like, I don't know, you're a little scary and mean. Right? We fall into those foibles. And don't you love how we see right here that Joseph is both? Because true godliness is both righteous and kind. You know why that is? Because God is both righteous and kind. So if you're gonna be like God, you're both. God is absolutely uncompromising in his righteousness. And if we truly fear him, When we see what he does about it, it causes us to fear him because what does he do? In his righteousness, he's unapproachable. But in his kindness, he sends his son to fulfill what we lack in righteousness. See the heart of your God here in Joseph's actions. He's both righteous and kind. Especially because this is a shame culture. Now, I want you to get this idea down. This is what anthropologists call a shame culture. And don't think of shame as this, like, abstract emotion like you're doing right now. Here's what I want you to do, okay? Class participation time. Who remembers or has heard of the game hot potato? Like, mostly, we've never actually played it with a real potato, I know. But we played it in gym, right? So, think of shame like the potato. You don't want it. It's uncomfortable and you want to get rid of it as soon as possible. That's what shame is like in a shame culture. It is almost tangible, it's absolutely transferable. And so, what's happening right now is because of her very public, because you know she's showing adultery, again from his perspective, he didn't know the whole story, he in that culture has just been heaped with shame. He is under a burden of shame. And so what he's supposed to do, what's expected by the Jewish readers of this most Jewish of the four gospels, is he's supposed to get two witnesses and he's supposed to have a very public divorce proceeding in which he basically takes all that shame and dumps it on her and is like, see ya, and is out of here. And for the rest of her life, she has to labor under that burden. Her child will be born under that burden. It's a shameful existence. And he says in his love for her, she has wronged me, but I love her. I'm not going to dump that burden on her. She's going to have enough on her own. I'll, I'll keep mine. I won't clear my name. I'll still be the subject of mockery, of snide comments, because I haven't publicly freed myself from this. That's who he is. He decides that he will bear her shame. It's a tremendous picture of God's sacrificial love, isn't it? Because we're in on the cross, what happens there? Jesus Christ hangs naked, shameful, to bear the shame for our sins so we don't have to. Oh, Christians, see the compassionate heart of your God right here, even in this little, this little text this is what it means to see God in his compassion. You know, we spent the spring and summer in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you remember, after we go through Ecclesiastes, through all the questions and through all the, all the what's, gonna, what's life all about? It gets to the very end. You remember what it says? It says, what's the very end? The end of the matter is fear God. Keep his commandments. And then we went right from that into Malachi. and The very first thing in Malachi is God comes and says, where is my fear? And he spends the whole book of Malachi kind of diagnosing where they've been insufficient in their fear of him. And so he says, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to be there among you. And I will fix this whole fear thing because you're not doing it right. If you want to fear God, if you want to have the scriptural prerogative of fearing God like you're supposed to, let his compassionate nature just get into your heart. When you see your own sinfulness when you know His immense holiness and yet you receive His compassion, oh, that makes a born-again heart tremble that one such as you receives mercy. That's the fear of God. When we get this picture of compassion into our heart, we will be fearful, holy, obedient, growing Christians because what the heart loves The emotions then want and the will then does. And what you and I tend to do is we tend to work on the will part, right? Let's get some actions. Let's get some discipline. Let's get some good habits. And maybe that'll flood backwards into our heart. But the Bible says, no, out of the heart flows your life, right? So get your heart to love Jesus and the gospel. And that heart will then guide your emotions into wanting to be like Jesus, which will then guide your will into actually being like Jesus. And we see this all right here. Do you want to grow in godliness? Do you want to be holy? Then get this picture of God into your heart. And notice what else that Joseph does here. It says Joseph considered. Uh, Joseph gave concentrated mental effort. What considered means. He turned it over in his mind. He even slept on it. And God gave him wisdom. And I love that because in our world, we don't really appreciate slow wisdom, do, do we? I emailed you 97 seconds ago and you haven't answered. Why not? What are you doing? Are you too busy for me? Or is that, is that just me that gets those emails right? Okay. Where, you know, now, now, now. But the Bible says, no, wisdom is actually usually very slow. And so Joseph takes his time. He considers. Why did he have to consider, though, if you think about it? I mean, the law is clear. She's an adulteress. He's clean. What's there to consider? It's right there in the text. Do it. See, his righteousness knows what to do, but his kind heart is also going, it's not in the text, but you know there's something going on here. Something is causing him to pause. Something wasn't right in his kind heart. So he's like, hold up, I I need to think about this. I mean, of all the men in Israel, this is the kind of man that God chose to raise his own son not that an amazing picture? Here's a man who will help Jesus increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So Joseph considers, and a loving heavenly father sends a messenger to speak to him. The messenger comes and calls him a son of David, reminding him of his privilege, reminding him of his great lineage, reminding him of who God sees him as. You see, before God calls him to radical trust, before God calls him to radical obedience, he reminds Joseph of who he is. He reminds Joseph of where he stands, just as he does for us. Oh, Christians in the room, you ever been scared of the future? you ever been stuck with what seems like an impossible choice and you really don't know what to do? Let the angels' words here teach you that when things are most difficult, often we need to remember who we are. I'm a beloved, adopted child of God through Jesus Christ. God has promised to work good for me. And comfort comes from remembering the gospel. See, I want, I want to put it that way? because often we Christians, we think that the gospel's the elementary thing, right? That's what we need to get in with God. Now that we're in, okay, let's go on to 201, 301 level stuff. What's, what's next? No. The law, our works, our efforts, that's baby food. In fact, our doctrinal standards actually refer to the law as what the church in, in, under its infancy had. It was baby food. The gospel is the solid adult food. You realize we never move past the gospel, only deeper into it the more that you're rooted in who Jesus says you are, the more you're rooted in who God sees you as in Jesus, the more holy, the more obedient you will be. And we see that right here in verse 20. Look with me at verse 20. It says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit see, after reminding him of who he is by grace, then the angel calls him to obey. In Scripture, always, I get to use the word always, you, don't, you know, you're always not supposed to use always, right? I'm using always. The Bible always bases calls to obedience and a truth of grace. Uh, I've said it before, the best example is the Ten Commandments themselves. What's the preamble to the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God who's rescued you. The grace has happened. Now here's what it looks like to be my people. The preamble is not, okay, if you do these things, then I will rest. They're already rescued. The grace comes first, and the grace empowers the law that is then given. And it's right here. The angel comes and gives him an imperative command. Don't fear. Quit being afraid. Quit living out of fear. You're a son of David. Don't do that. See, the grace will empower his obedience. And this is so tremendously important. This is not just a a, a case of semantics. Joseph must adopt Jesus into the line of David. Joseph must marry Mary for Jesus to legally be considered of the line of David. Now, I know if you know your Bible trivia, yes, Mary is technically of the line of David as well. They didn't care about her. It had to come through the dad. If Jesus is going to be the promised son of David, Redeemer, it's got to be because he's Joseph's recognized son. Our redemption really does hang in the balance right here. Will Joseph do this hard thing? And as if that's not hard enough, he also has to believe a very hard truth, doesn't he? The virgin conception of Jesus. We always talk about the virgin birth. I don't know why. It's actually nine months before that. It's the virgin conception. That's the big issue. Now, again, if this is is real, if this is a historical reality we are reading at here, then you know they have had the talk, right? Mary has begged him. Mary has pleaded with him. I have been faithful to you. I promise you, it's from the Holy Spirit. It's not me. An angel told me, I've been faithful. And it's easy for us to think, isn't it? Well, ancient people were dumber than we are. They, they, they fall for that stuff. They're, they're more apt to, to, be, you know, to be swayed by a religious explanation, right? We think that way. I know C.S. Lewis called it chronological arrogance. But let's just be very clear here. Even 2,000 years ago, Joseph knew where babies came from. It's just as challenging for him to believe as it is for you to believe. So here it is, one of the worst times of Joseph's life. His hopes, his dreams for a family have been shattered. And God comes in and fixes his pain in a moment. God doesn't always do that, does he? There have been times in my life when I have been undone. When there is no hope, and I have screamed at the ceiling, why are you treating me like this? Why don't you fix this? And God has just let me marinate in that pain and fear and junk. He's done it for you too, hadn't he? God may not take away that diagnosis you've prayed over, that stressful work situation, that relationship that just breaks your heart that regret that ruins every day, you remember it. Even so, verse 20 can still be a guide for us in that, dear Christian. Fall back on your identity. In Jesus, you're an adopted child of God. He's promised to work good in your life, and so as a child, ask him for the grace to endure. Ask him to help you not fear. Ask him to give you the wisdom and the patience. So the angel continues explaining what's going on here to Joseph and we get to see that the heart of God is actually the heart of a rescuer. Look with me at verse 21. That she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So this baby has a name and an agenda from God from the very beginning. He will rescue. That's what save means. He will rescue his people from their sins You know, we talked about a hard truth earlier. Well, if you're investigating Christianity, here's another hard truth humanity is not right before God. We need rescue. We do not measure up on our own. You know, in recovery programs, the first step to healing is to recognize you have a problem, right? So, too, in order for you to have the peace and the safety of God given to you in the gospel, you have to recognize your alienation. You have to recognize your separation from God. Fear tells us that we'll never measure up to God's righteousness, but in the gospel, God gives us grace precisely because we can't measure up. If you believe that truth, if you'll let that hard truth change you, you can find freedom and rest from fear by being rooted in who Jesus says you are, beloved child, a beloved sister, a beloved brother, united to him, adopted of the Father. And in that loving embrace, you'll then want to measure up to God's standards. In other words, just like Joseph is told to do here, you must embrace Jesus as your own to be rescued. See, through Joseph's eyes, we see the heart of God. It's the heart of a God who rescues us. Next, we see that God's grace empowers us. So at this point in the text, starting in verse 22, the angel's done talking, and we're back to having Matthew as the narrator kind of telling us what's going on here. And he tells us that God is doing exactly what God said he would do. He's keeping his promises. Look with me at verse 23, what promises? It says, behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is an old promise from the book of Isaiah. From the midst of a very difficult, hard time in their past, God came to them and promised that he would never forsake them, that he would not abandon his people, that he would be with them. And he told them that a sign of this prob- promise would be that a virgin would have a child as a pointer to God himself being with his people. The people in Joseph's day knew this promise. It was called the Emmanuel promise. They knew it. They, they, they took great hope in it that one day, someday, God would come and be with us. And here they are now. They're waiting. They're under Roman occupation. They're scared for their future. They're hopeless that things are ever going to get better. And by Matthew quoting this Isaiah promise here, his first readers would see God has brought about this promise in their lifetimes. The one day, someday is today in Jesus, in this promise. God is with them. So several years ago, um, when we were when our middle daughter was probably five, six years old. We'd put her to bed and all of a sudden she comes running out of her bedroom and she's like, there's monsters in my room. So, okay, I was playing with my older son at the time and he had these little airsoft guns. Y'all familiar with these airsoft guns? They shoot like little plastic BBs and they're very realistic looking. So we had a pistol and we had like an assault rifle, I guess, I don't know. It looked realistic and scary, it was great. So we have a whole mess of daughters, right? And our philosophy has always been we want to raise, like, formidable women. We don't want to raise girls who sit around waiting for a prince to rescue them. They're going to go rescue the prince himself, okay? That's our philosophy. So because we had that philosophy, she says there's monsters, so I toss her the airsoft pistol. I say, go take care of it. She takes one step towards the room. She stops. She goes, Dad, you've you got to come with me. And I was like, all right, let's do this. So we get to her bedroom door, and I said, okay, hey, Emma, you know how you watch me in those video games? We're going to breach, okay? I'll go right, you go left. She's like, okay, okay. And those of you with a law enforcement or military background, you would have been so proud of us. <laughs> we did a great breach. I swept right, she swept left. We took out every monster in that room. It was amazing. After we had some hot chocolate to celebrate, I told her, she said, Emma, you were so brave. And she goes, that's because I was with my daddy. I know, it's very sweet. Do you think she meant geography? You think when God says, I will be with you, he means geography? I want you to think about all the emotional freight of a little girl saying, that's because I was with my daddy. And I want you to put all of that freight off this promise of God saying, I will be with you. Because that's the Emmanuel promise. That's how they would receive it, that like God's with us, he makes us strong, he makes us fierce, he makes us powerful, he takes away our fear, he enables us to do great things. He saves us, he's with us. See, Jesus is the connection between the fatherly love of God and his people. He is what makes us with God. Jesus came to give his life to fix that relationship. Jesus came to save us so we could be family with God again. Oh, boys and girls in the room, do you have a little manger scene at home this time of year? Raise your hand, anybody? Okay, have y'all, okay if you, that's fine. Have you seen one outside in the foyer? Have you seen that one? Okay, okay, you all need to go look at the one outside there in the foyer, okay? Because every time you see that little baby in the manger, boys and girls, know that God wants you to be with him. Because Jesus coming means God wants to be with us. And we can actually see that right here. We can see how God's grace then empowers Joseph's obedience. Look with me at verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. You know, it would have been very easy at this point for Joseph to say, God's word is clear. Adultery is wrong. It's a death penalty offense. Now I've had this dream, and it seems to say something else. I'm a Presbyterian. I don't do the dreams thing. So I'm going to ignore it. That would have been very easy, very externally righteous for him to do. But instead, Joseph becomes the epitome of trust and obey. He believes God's word. Rooted in, his gra- in God's grace, Joseph is free from fear and so God's word reorients his life. He will marry Mary. He will bring Jesus into his family. Verse 25 tells us he'll name him and claim him. How do you see the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in this very familiar small passage. Verse 21 presupposes that we need rescue, that we're separated from God. And so to bring us back into the family on the cross, Jesus was forsaken and kicked out of God's family for us. To anchor us in safety, to set us free from fear, Jesus was plunged into danger and fear on the cross for us. Instead of being safe and secure, Jesus was beaten and murdered. And he did that voluntarily out of love to bring us in so God could be with us. That's the gospel. And Advent is the inauguration of that gospel. It's why we celebrate. Uh, If you know Jesus, man, see again the burning joy of his coming, we can get so used to hearing it, can't we? That we forget to be amazed. Be amazed yet again. Yet let your heart rejoice in this gospel. If you're still investigating Christianity, the safety that you long for, the fear you want to be free of so badly, all of that is available to you. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord. And don't wait. Do it now. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, familiar passages like this. And we thank you, Lord, for showing us yet again the depths of your mercy and grace, the heights of your righteousness, and the links that your kindness will go to to be with your people. And we pray, Father God, that for those of us who do know you, that you would once again enthrall our hearts with the beauty of your Son, Jesus, so that we would want to obey and then actually do it. Now, would you fuel us by that grace, Father? And Lord, we pray today for those who do not know you, that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, you'd be true to your promise to draw all people to him. Even now, Lord, would you call people from death to life that they might repent and believe the gospel. We pray all this, Father, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.